Good morning. How's everybody doing? Awesome. Hey, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you so much for the, uh, the invitation. Love talking to guys. Uh, love this time of year, too. Isn't it fun? You got the playoffs going on. We just finished up the, uh, the college football playoff. Who says, let's start a uh, little uh, uh, poll here. Who says we need at least six teams in this college football playoff? This is crazy, isn't it? Man. I mean, how far do we have to go down to get to Michigan? Like maybe we need like an 82-team playoff, right, or something like that. I don't know. But anyway, I used to play football at Western Michigan University. So anytime I'm, I'm speaking with some people that aren't as familiar, I, I kind of warn them ahead of time. I'm like, okay, I just want you to know I was a middle linebacker, and my favorite thing before I started playing middle linebacker was on the kickoff team. Okay, this just gives you some insight. You need to know who's speaking at you this morning. Um, my favorite thing was on the kickoff team running down, and they called me a wedge breaker, okay? Okay, so I'm the guy who's running down the field, and I'm looking for the three guys. You know, they're, 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 those are the guys who the kickoff comes, and they all run back together, and usually there's a big offensive lineman, and they all kind of get together like this, and they're like, oh, let's go, and then the guy with the ball is coming behind them. Well, there's one lucky soul who gets the job of breaking that up. Doesn't that sound fun? And that was my job. My first year at Western Michigan, the wide receivers would literally stand together and, and after there would be a score and they'd, they'd go there and stand and they'd watch me do it. And I'd come off the field and I'd be like, I'd be like this. Or sometimes I'd go to the wrong sideline. I remember when we played Iowa State one time. I ran over to the Iowa State sideline and I'm over there and the guys are looking. Like, what are you cheering down? I'm like, okay, I'm on the wrong side of the field, you know, going over there. And they just got a kick out of that. So that, that was what I enjoyed to do before I played middle linebacker at 200 pounds soaking wet. So anyway, that's, that's my background. Um, married to Kathy, my high school sweetheart. Did anybody marry their high school sweetheart? Yeah? Only one, two? Okay, there should be at least one guy at a table. Yeah, so this is kind of weird. Uh, our story started actually way before we were 17 or 18 years old. Kathy and I were in the same nursery school class together. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. John's like, that's sweet. Yeah, yeah. John, I want you to know, brother, I was very patient. I waited, I waited till like fourth grade before I started making a move on her. But uh, the, Lord, the Lord has blessed Kathy and I with five amazing children and, you know, when, when we're looking at 2018, it's, a, it's a, you know, you're always looking at it and saying, hey, God, what are you going to do this year? What, what exciting opportunities do you have for me? And there's always transition a lot of times that we see that we know is coming down the pipeline. And for Kathy and I, that's very true because this summer, the beginning of the summer, my uh, oldest daughter got engaged. And the end of the summer, my oldest son got engaged. Uh, so we have a wedding in April. We have a wedding in June. So actually, Tom spoke incorrectly. The offering this morning is for Greg and Kathy's wedding fund. It's not to pay for breakfast, send money, but our life is about ready to change pretty dramatically. And then on top of that, I took my middle boy to North Central uh, over the weekend for a college visit in Minneapolis. And I mean, three of my five kids, I'm looking, I'm like, I mean, you're kind of like, oh my gosh, like three of five of them are getting ready to leave in the next six months. <laughs> Three out of five of them are getting ready to leave in the next six months. It's like, yeah, we're, we're getting to that point. But the Lord has been so good to us. And uh, I can honestly say, and I appreciate it so much, and I know that's to, uh, a tribute to Tom and the leadership, but um, even just in a lot of other things, some of the conversations I've had with the guys, I've been hearing about the world, the, the world, the world, and that excites me. I've been at World Mission as a CEO for now 20 years, and there's nothing that excites me more than Jesus' final words. 
I mean, hey, if Jesus thought it was important in his final words when he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, right? That's Jesus' final words in Matthew 28 that Tom just spoke of. And, and I love that because that's our assignment as followers of him. And this morning, I want to inform you, I'm going to simplify your life, okay? Because all of us, we have, hey, how do I maximize my time and time management stuff and all that? Hey, this morning, I'm going to really simplify it for you. Because there's only two things in life that we are doing. The one is that we're taking ground. We're taking ground, and the other thing we're doing is we're preparing. We're resting, we're, we're accumulating knowledge, we're readying ourselves. We're, we just had maybe a setback on as we're trying to take ground and we're, we're just kind of recouping a little bit. But you're either taking ground or you're preparing to take ground. One of two things, everything in your life as a follower of Jesus falls into the one of those two categories. And so Jesus gave us the assignment, right? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. Now that just doesn't mean that unreached people group in Erie and Jaya it means your next door neighbor. It means the people that you and I will encounter today. And maybe there's some equipping that's going on, even right now this morning, that's preparing you to take ground this afternoon. Because that's the attitude as we're following Jesus that we need to adopt. Say, Lord, just put something inside of me that readies me for that opportunity. So he didn't just give us the assignment, but he gave us the strategy the resurrected king, three days after he was crucified, he comes back. And early in the book of Acts, we see the resurrected Jesus talking to the disciples again. And he says, hey, when you receive the Holy Spirit and power, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Don't you love that? Jesus doesn't say, hey, just figure out everything in Grand Rapids first. And once you figure that out, then I want you to go down to Lansing, and those guys are messed up. So then, you know, you just go down to Lansing, and then once you get that figured out, go down to Haiti. And then once you figure that one out, go to Erie and Jaya and those, uh, those, those cannibals, right? No, no, no. He said and. That's the conjunction. And so we're asking the Lord, Lord, what does that look like? How does that manifest itself? I want to tell you a quick story of the, the most powerful story that, that I know. Because some of these stories, right, they're like reading in the New Testament. We're reading about a missionary who went to Africa, you know, 100 years ago. And, you know, when the missionaries went, you know, they took all their stuff. Just like you and I get on an airplane and we, you know, we bring our, our luggage and that, right? We go, you know what they took their luggage in, the early missionaries? They put all their stuff in a, in a suitcase that was a casket, everything. Their possessions were in a casket because they knew it was a one-way trip. Now, when Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses, I think that's kind of what he's talking about. And here's the story I want to share with you. There's a friend of mine who was in, uh, in uh, Nigeria. This was just a few years ago during our lifetime. And he was in a meeting similar to this. And this guy came out, and he started talking to this group of people. He's like, yeah, you know, hey, I know we're comfortable here in Abuja, and things are going well, and your church is, you know, you know, making some great inroads. But he said, you know, 
there's these people that come down to the market, and they're, they're kind of, they've got little, like, you know, strings uh, of leaves around them, and they come down, and they buy some stuff in the market, and then they scurry off, and they go back. They're from the mountains, or the, those, those Coma Mountains, and they just kind of come down and get their stuff, and then off they go. And we don't know of a single Christian among them. There's over 60,000 of these people called the Coma, and no one has ever taken Jesus to them. Now, my friend is living there comfortably, and he's like, kind of, okay, man. Yeah, God's going to call somebody else, right? Isn't that how we think sometimes? We're like, yeah, you know, there's a need. Yeah, but, hey, God, I bet he's going to talk to somebody else. Well, he's either readying you for something or you're taking ground. So every time those opportunities get presented, we need to be asking ourselves, Lord, is this my opportunity to take ground? It changes everything, doesn't it? Is this my opportunity? Because you told me to go make disciples. Yeah, it applies to everybody else. But guess what? At the end of the day, when this mist of a life is done, I'm accountable for how I poured out my one life. And what did I do with the opportunities that he gave me to take ground, whether it's my next-door neighbor or this tribe like the Coma? And so as Gabrielle was reflecting on that question, he took it very seriously. raised his hand, along with two or three other young men. I'll go to the coma. I don't know what language they speak, but man, if they've never heard of Jesus. And this missionary was so excited, he's like, all right, that's wonderful. Let's, let's you know, celebrate. And everybody was excited, jumping up and down. He goes, oh, he goes, there's one detail I forgot to mention. I mean, this, it's not like this affects anything, but I just want you to know a little bit more about the coma. Minor, minor detail. As far as we know... The coma are cannibals, but that's, I mean, just one, and the, you know, two of the three guys are kind of like, yeah, I don't think I'm like called this one here, but Gabrielle's like, I'm going. I mean, hey, what better way to give my life, right? And he goes, you know, I'm going to just go right to the end of the story because at the time that meeting took place, there was not a single Christian among them. And today I've seen it with my own eyes. I've been to the coma. When you go to the base of this mountain, there's settlements that never existed before. Village, huts, all kinds of, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of people that are 100% Christian. Because one person sat in a meeting and they said, I'm ready and I'm available. Where do I take my ground? Where do I take my ground? Now that word in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 when it says you'll be my witness, actually um, the Greek word there is martus. And it applies for all of us. So I want us all to say together, I am a martus. All right, all together now. I am a martus. Now you can tell someone to, I mean, you can put that on your resume actually, okay? So people will be really impressed. Say, I, I am a martus. And they're going to go, you're a caboose? Like, what did you say you are? Well, you're a martus? Could you please explain that to me? You're a martus. I mean, isn't that kind of cool? You are a martus. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Martus, Martus. That sounds <laughs> like another word I'm, I'm familiar with called martyr. And you'd be correct. Because the word Martus, the origin of that comes from Martus. Which actually is a reference 
to those who after his example have proved the strength and genuineness of their faith in Christ by undergoing a violent death. Yeah, Greg, about that Martus thing, you know, yeah, I'm, hey, that whole preparing thing, I'm still, I'm over there, man. I'm, let's, let's, let's kind of hold off on that. Martus, you and I are called to be a Martus. And I'm telling you that today, just like my friend, when he said, hey, I'm going to the coma, there's application for you and I right here as we're driving along 54th Street and 44th Street and going up and down Byron Center and 131 in Grand Rapids. Guys, there's application for living the life of a martus here and now. And you can still impact the ends of the earth. I want to share a story with you this morning that will find great insight and application of a life of a martus. If you have your Bible, go to John chapter 7. And we are going to pick up a story that has to do with this whole concept. The story is actually in John chapter 4, but the verse that we're going to be zeroing in on is John 7. John 7, verse 37. Now, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Living waters that's flowing in my life and your, in your life that overflows and, and impacts this world. Now check this out in verse 39. It says, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So in Acts chapter 1-8, Jesus is glorified, and he's saying, you are martus. Remember in the beginning of that verse, it says, when you receive the Holy Spirit and power, right? And then here he said beforehand, yeah, that Spirit thing is what I'm talking about. And that's going to create living waters inside of our lives. Streams of living water. There's another verse in the Old Testament that, that's a great visual and a great descriptive of what that is. You can just write this down. Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11. It says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Doesn't that sound good? I mean, we all have dry days, don't we? I mean, just stuff. Sometimes, you know, it feels like we walk out the, the doors and it's like there's just like a, a, like, okay, these, you know, I'm kind of leaking, right? I'm leaking. There's stuff that's just taking away from me. So this idea of perpetual living water is a big point if we want to be a martus, isn't it? Because we have to be ready for that time. It's okay. It's, we're not, not always on the offensive. We're not always the reckless one running down and trying to break up the wedge. Right? We're, there's times where God just, man, I just need a drink. And Jesus even took time where Jesus went away to the quiet place to get recharged, to get ready. Why? 
because he knew there would be more ground to be taken. You know, there's an interesting um, story in the Bible about Jesus. That it's right after he was rejected by his own village. This is in Matthew uh, chapter 14. I mean, he was rejected by his own hometown. And then right, right after that, he finds out one of his dearest friends, John the Baptist, is beheaded. And Jesus, Jesus had such an affinity, such a, such a closeness to, to John. I mean, he walked 70 miles to get baptized by him. And he, he's feeling down, right? I mean, rejection isn't fun in and of itself, is it? And then to find out your best friend is beheaded? And so Jesus is like, yeah, you know, I need to get some solitude. And while he's going to get solitude to recharge, to prepare to take ground, the crowds are chasing after him. And in that moment of weakness, do you know what happened? The Bible says Jesus had compassion. I mean, I think if there was ever a time Jesus had um, sort of permission to go, hey, guys, not right now. Like, I just need to grieve. I just need to get away. I'll be back. I just need to go and just get some time fellowship with my Heavenly Father. If there was ever a time, that was it, I would say. But the Bible says Jesus had compassion on the multitudes, and he started doing ministry. Do you know what happened next? There's two miracles that are documented in all four Gospels, the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. And in Jesus' moment of weakness and need to get recharged, that's the ministry that happens. Do you know why? Because of the perpetual living water. Here's the reality of taking ground. So many times it's not done on our terms where we kind of map it out. We've got our little schedule and saying, okay, tomorrow I'll be ready and I'm going to bust it. I'm going to take this ground. It happens very spontaneously, doesn't it? Those, there's opportunities outside of that door that are waiting for you. It might be five minutes from when you leave here. In other words, they're unscripted, they're unplanned, they're spontaneous. And the question is going to be, is the living water activated in our lives so that we'll be responsive to that? Will we be ready for it? Because we never know the opportunities that we'll have to take ground, to take ground. So we need the living water at work in our lives. Amen? All right, John chapter 4, we're going to look at this story and grab some of those attributes I was telling you about that we're going to walk out of here equipped with, the characteristics of the living water. I love this story in, uh, in John chapter 4. I'm going to read a few verses here, so just kind of bear with me. Therefore, when the Lord knew, this is right from the beginning, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, he left Judea and went away into all of Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sachar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? Now, let me just pause right there for a moment. Because a lot of this taking ground business is where you position your life. 
It's where you position your life. I mean, if ground needs to be taken, by definition, there's a need there, isn't there? And in our own safety, in the confines of protection, isn't necessarily where ground needs to be taken. Are you tracking with me? Now, this issue of the Jews and the Samaritans was a very significant one. Because the Jews would go out of their way to avoid Samaria. I mean, it'd be like going from uh, Kalamazoo to Grand Rapids via Lansing. It just doesn't make sense, does it? But there's some crazy people that live in Door and Wayland that you better avoid like the plague, all right? The Samaritans, you got me. 131 isn't an option. You're going to go over here to Lansing, way out of your way. You'd add, add days to your travel. So the Samaritan woman's like, hey, this Jew. And the Bible says that Jesus just beelined it there, didn't he? Opportunity to take ground. How are, where are you positioning yourself? That's a big question. Because that's where God can mobilize you and use you on the offensive to take ground. All right. So it was the sixth hour. We're picking up the story again in verse 7. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore she said to him, how are you asking me? You know, you're a Jew. So Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Wow. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. She's starting to get it, isn't it? I mean, at first she's like, hey, you don't even have a bucket. What are you doing? I mean, you, you need some help here, buddy. He's like, no, 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 you're missing it. You drink from this well, you're going to be thirsty again. But what I'm giving you is perpetual water. It's a source where you'll never go dry. So here's the first one of the five. In verse 10 of chapter 4, Jesus had answered her and said, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Is not earned. You don't buy it. You don't do stuff. You're not good enough to acquire it. It's freely given. Amen? So you and I don't have to worry about laboring. It's like, hey, I want some of that. As we're in pursuit of Jesus, as we're readying ourselves to take ground and say, I need some of that, is available. Is available. If we would just humble ourselves and say, yes, Lord, I need that in my life. I need that in my life. The second, verse, the second point, in verse 13 and 14, Jesus answered and he said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give 
shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This living water never, never, never runs dry. It will never run dry. I can remember one time we were in India. Part of our ministry is there. And uh, we're going in there. Part of our ministry is when we're going into an area that's very hostile and very difficult for them to receive the gospel, we'll say, hey, what's an opportunity that we can just love them? That we can just be the hands and feet of Jesus and we have a water ministry. And so we'll go in and when those, those doors and those opportunities are there, we'll, we'll drill a water. And it's amazing how that changes everything. Hey, it's the, the right thing to do, right? But be it, they're like, now why are you doing this? And it creates, it changes the environment altogether to have that discussion. Well, it's because of the love Jesus has for us that we're loving you. And it changes the environment and the culture. So we're in, we're in India, and they're like, yeah, we need a well in this village right here. And so we're like, awesome. So we, we, we drilled this well, and there was a dedication. And I can remember being at this dedication, and, you know, everybody's so excited. And I'm, I'm looking over about, you know, in the food uh, area. There's a, there's, I see another uh, drill head that's coming up. It looked just like the one that had just got done. And I'm like, okay, this is odd because they said they needed water, and there's a, a well right there. I can see it. And so I'm asking him, and I'm like, hey, what's, what's the deal? Why, why are we doing this so close to each other? And they said, well, that's a good question. But the issue with that well over there is that it's only accessible and only has water for about three months, and then it's dry. It's only about 40 feet deep. This one we just did is 200 feet deep, and it will never run dry. Do you see my point? There's things that you and I can latch onto that will just dry up. They, they might look pretty good, and they might actually look like of equivalent value, but we're chasing the wrong stuff to fill us up and ready us to take ground. Because the living water that Jesus provides will never, the real thing will never dry up. Amen? All right. The living water, in verse 16 to 18. Let's just take that story out a little bit more because the woman at the well is starting to understand what Jesus is saying. And in verse 16, after she said to him, Sir, give me some, so I will, so I will not be thirsty. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Guys, as we're readying ourselves to take ground, and we open ourselves up to the living water, the living water will expose sin. The living water will expose sin, just like it did for the Samaritan woman at the well. Because guess what? As you and I are getting ready to take ground, Sometimes there's stuff when we're getting ready that just needs to be kind of weeded out. Just kind of, hey, hey, I'm a, I'm, son, I'm going to use you. I have a great assignment for you. I'm not, a, I'm not revealing it at this time, but we just, we just need to, this, this kind of here needs to come out. This over here, you know, you've got bitterness somewhere. We're just going to work on that right now, okay? And we're going to get you ready so you can take ground. So the fact that we're not taking ground doesn't mean, oh, man, we're just in this horrible. No, he loves us so much. 
wants to use you in your current state. But there'll be some light shining on some areas that might, might poke and prod a little bit. But it's in our best interest because he wants us to take ground. Verse 28, we're going to look at point number four. Point number three, the living water exposes sin. Point number four. Now, if you go further down, you'll see that at this point, his disciples came and they were amazed and he had been speaking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Why do you speak to her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. And down in verse 39, it says, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word the woman had testified. The living water will change you and cause a testimony. It will cause a testimony that the world will see. The other piece of that is that you'll notice that she left something at the well. When the revelation and the understanding of the living water finally became true to her, she left her source of sustenance, her, her, her source that she would carry the water, the jug that she, the very jug that she put the physical water in, she left behind. <laughs> she left it. She says, I don't need that anymore. And there's stuff that you and I need to leave. We just need to leave behind and run towards the authentic, genuine living water. Because at the end of the day, that's the only thing that's going to be of value when your assignment to take ground comes. So it's going to cause a testimony. You're going to leave your stuff behind, your agendas. And finally, in verse 42... And they were saying, now this is the people in Samaria, they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you, woman, have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Living water will multiply itself. It will multiply itself as it's manifest in your, and you know what that means? Living water will take ground as it's at work in your life, in my life. Guys, my prayer for you, my prayer for me this morning and this year is that we would just be humble enough, just like the, the woman at the well, to say, yeah, I need that real thing. And all this other stuff is leaving behind so that the living water can flow in my life because she understood there was territory that needed to be taken. That's my prayer for you this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it multiplies itself, that it transforms us, that it doesn't leave us the same as when we had an encounter with it. And Lord, we're thankful that you desire to use us, that you have assignments that we're even unaware of to take ground for your glory. So Father, this morning we submit ourselves fresh and anew to that vision, that understanding of the nations of the earth, whether it's Granville or Irian Jaya, need to be disciples. And Lord, you're giving us the privilege, the opportunity with this one life that's being poured out to participate in that as we submit ourselves to the living water. Father, bless my friends. Encourage them to take a drink from the well that will never run so that you are glorified forever and ever. And we'll give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.